proceeding from the great commission given by Jesus to make disciples of all nations, the early church exploded and countless souls were made new by the atoning work of Christ. Dead hearts were made alive and churches sprouted up throughout the world. As a need for clear and concise biblical interpretation arose, the Reformed Confessions of the Faith were written and still have a major impact on the church today. The Confessional Collective desires to see healthy, theologically sound churches planted and on mission for the Kingdom of Christ. Welcome to the Confessional Collective. Welcome to the Confessional Collective, where truth meets mission. We got the regular cast of characters, Chris, Zach, and I, Aaron Carr, and we are thrilled to be continuing our discussion through the catechisms. Um, gentlemen, let's just kind of quickly go around the table and uh, give an update what's been going on. Uh, I've been pretty busy with school, um, so it's only like my second week, but it's and it's all online classes, which for someone like me, it's hard to discipline myself to do all online. But uh, so far, I'm keeping up with it, so that's good. You also hold down a job, and a, you got a baby and a wife, yep. and that's yep. usually a good order, a wife and a baby. Right, right, right. Yeah. That's the way it happens, usually. Usually. <laughs> at least it's supposed to. Right. Yep, yeah, so uh, that's that's the usual stuff, but school is like the new addition over the last couple of weeks, so that's kept me pretty busy. But uh, it's it's good. It's stuff I like to study, it's biblical studies and theology, so it's enjoyable. Do you want to tell our listeners where you're attending? I'm at Boyce, which is the uh, four-year college at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. I know nobody's shocked by that. Now you you are true blue, man. <laughs> I am true blue, yeah. 100%. <laughs> through and through. Chris, what about you, man? What's been going on? Oh, just been keeping busy, just organizing stuff for worship, and uh, just all my work at the church. And uh, other than that, just uh, actually unpacking a few boxes that have been left over from when we moved back down to California. So uh, we're, we're almost done moving back in. It's been about a year. So you really are staying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, well, at least go, I, I figure I, if the more boxes I open, the more stuff I realize I can get rid of. So, you know, it, it just simplifies things. So everybody on the Reform Pub should be looking for a Chris sale. There'll probably <laughs> yeah. be books and things coming, coming your way. Oh, no, there's no books getting sold. You sell other stuff to buy more books. That's there you true. Go. There you go. Spoken like a true Calvinist. <laughs> well, we've been covering uh, creation and providence, and I think those are a good setup for today's discussion on uh, sin, the fall of man specifically. And uh, Chris, why don't you start us off just kind of walking us through the Heidelberg regarding that? Yeah, the Belgic Confession actually has quite a bit to say on that particular subject. Uh, section 28 um, <clears throat> It says, we believe that God created human beings from the dust of the earth and made and formed them in his image and likeness, good, just, and holy, able by their will to conform in all things to the will of God. But when they were in honor, they did not understand it and did not recognize their excellence, but they subjected themselves willingly to sin and consequently to death and the curse, lending their ear to the word of the devil for they transgressed the commandment of life which they had received, and by their sin they separated themselves from God, who was their true life, having corrupted their entire nature, so that they made themselves guilty and subject to physical and spiritual death, having become wicked, perverse, and corrupt in all their ways. They lost all their excellent gifts which they had received from God, and retained none of them except for small traces which are enough to make them inexcusable." Moreover, all the light in us is turned to darkness, as the Scripture teaches us, 
the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. Here John calls the human race darkness. Therefore we reject everything taught to the contrary concerning human free will, since humans are nothing but slaves of sin and cannot do a thing unless it is given them from heaven. For who can boast of being able to do anything good by oneself? For Christ says, no one can come to me unless the, uh, drawn by the Father who sent me. Who can glory in their own will when they understand that the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile towards God? Who can speak of their own knowledge in view of the fact that those who are unspiritual do not receive the gifts of God's Spirit? I think uh, about halfway through there, I, I think not only is that extremely thorough, but it's, it's really helpful because I think most people probably um, would agree with almost all of that, not even just Calvinists, not even just Reformed people, but most people are going to look at that and they're going to say, yep, I know that, I know that, I know that. And then you got about, I don't know, two-thirds of the way through, and then where it says, uh, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it. Here John calls the human race darkness. Therefore we reject everything taught to the contrary concer concerning human free will, since humans are nothing but slaves of sin and cannot do a thing unless it is given them from heaven. I think that is where there's some dividing lines drawn uh, within the evangelical community, right? Because a lot of us don't understand the extent of the fall. Everyone knows the fall is a historical event. We all know what happened. Um, but then when, you've get, when you have Calvinists and then everybody else, there's, there's a distinction between how extensive is that fall, how severe are the effects of the fall, what is man's ability um, after the fall, right? And so that's where there's some disagreement. Yeah, I love the little phrase, uh, small traces, that was said there in the Belgic Confession. Mm -hmm. and there, there is small traces of glimmers of the image bearing, but there, everything's been so polluted by sin, it's just small. Right. <laughs> and I yeah. think uh, that's a huge, huge—I just I appreciate the language there. Yeah. And by the way, I said Belgic Confession. That is Heidelberg Catechism, uh, number 28. Do you guys, do you guys run into um, issues where— uh, People will, like like I said kind of earlier, like they'll agree, obviously. I mean, no Christian denies the fall, right? Um, but when you press people on what that really means, what are some of the answers that you guys will get that maybe are kind of faulty? Yeah, we're, we're hurt by sin, mm -hmm. right? That's, I think that's a big one. Victims, kind of? Yeah, oh yeah, victims. Right. Uh, sin is outside us, you yeah. know, the fallen world right. outside us. So it's kind of like an environmental thing where we're, mm -hmm. we're tainted by it, Just right? don't drink the water. Right. <laughs> Yeah, um, it becomes apparent to me usually when I like ask people, or or if people, not even if I ask people stuff, but just the stuff they'll say about the fall, it becomes apparent that they don't fully grasp like what that means to be in Adam, you know. Um, and, and it's funny to me when people say, "Well, I didn't want Adam as my representative," right? You know, <laughs> well, yes, about Christ, you did. <laughs> yes, you <laughs> did, because if you don't want an right. Adam, you don't want Christ, right? It's yeah, like, right, definitely right. A representational government here, right? Um, what What kind of amazes me is that. Uh, you know, as we consider the fall and the effects of the fall, and particularly concerning the will, is that so many in our day don't even simply commit the the error of the semi-Pelagians, mm -hmm. but uh, who would say, well, you know, we're really just sick, uh, you know, sin is a, a disease, and we just need assistance— but even go further than that, all the way back to full-blown Pelagianism, and, and would simply say, no, we're all born into this world as a spotless, uh, sl blank slate. Right. 
and uh, and we all have the complete free ability to choose what is good, to choose God, and uh, it's incredible how that type of a a heresy that has been uh, you know understood as heresy for what sixteen hundred something years uh, is really the default view among so many in the church today. Yeah, I think the analogy that I've heard people use, which I think describes that well, is. You know, there's people that are drowning in an ocean, and someone comes by on a boat, and, he, and they toss them a life raft, and then that person has to grab onto that life raft, and then they'll be saved, you know? Um, and, and most people are like, yeah, that's, that's how salvation works. We're, all, we're, we're sick with sin. We're, we're uh, bogged down by sin. We can't, we can't get out of ourselves, so we need Jesus to come. He throws us a life raft, and then we can kind of pull ourselves up on that, and then he can bring us into the boat, and then we're safe. But I think the biblical picture is the severity of the fall being we're the, the, the corpse, the skeleton at the bottom of the ocean dead, right? And then Christ comes down, makes us alive, and pulls us out. And so that, that's, that's, that's the analogy that I've heard that I think paints a good picture of it. Well, that's mm-hmm. great. Um, you know, let's talk for a few minutes about sin itself. I think one of the things you were kind of alluding to is uh, people's idea of, of their involvement in sin. I think the first thing is people have to come to terms with what sin is, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, our, our catechism uh, defines this sin this way. It says in question 14, sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. And it's any want, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. It, it's, it's a transgression of the law in any regard, any, any which way. And I think that's the part we sometimes forget is that there's no such things as white lies, Right. You know, any God is so holy, so pure, so perfect that any tainting of that whatsoever is is sin. It's it's the breaking of His rules, His commands, and it actually in our own confession it breaks those uh, the, the sins down to two 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 examples. Uh, there's the original sin we're born with, then there's the actual sins we do we commit. And I think a lot of times people, well, I like the actual side, but I don't like the original side. And that's what we were talking about a mm-hmm. few minutes ago. Yeah. You know, that whole idea of being in, in, uh, being in uh, having Adam as a federal head. But that original sin is the reason we do actual sins. And you can't separate one right. from the other. It's, it's the fact that we sin because we're sinners, not that we're sinners because we sin, right? And so right. there's a huge difference there. And I think a lot of people right. by default just assume, well, I'm born... Uh, like almost like the age of accountability thing, which we've talked about before, and then uh, I become guilty once I'm consciously doing sin. And I think that goes back to the extent of the fall that some people don't grasp is ev- everyone knows, uh, like let's like Romans five when it gets to a- uh, Adam and Christ about halfway through that chapter, you've got the first fr- few verses of that section where everyone is on board with everyone, which is that people experience, all people experience death because of sin. So everyone is experiencing the effects of sin and nobody disagrees with that. Then you get down to, I don't know what verse it is. I should have wrote it down. It's like 18 or 19 or something where it says, not only is everyone experiencing death because of sin, but in Adam, all are condemned. So everyone has guilt because of Adam even, you know, and that's what really throws some people. I had discussion with a couple people at, at my own church just a few weeks ago that were kind of put off by that idea that not only do we suffer because of Adam's sin, but we're actually guilty of Adam's sin. Yeah, I mean, actually, the imputation mm-hmm. of Adam's sin, that's that's the theological uh, word we're looking for there, and that, that his sin has been imputed to us all, yeah. and now, as my own confession says, we're all inclined to evil. <laughs> yep. And, right. and that's the order, right? Th- you know, the imputation and then the inclination. Right. So we got to keep yeah. things in right order. Why do you think it is culturally maybe that we 
might particularly have a problem with the idea of the imputation of Adam's sin. Hmm. I, I think as an American, we have this tendency we don't like uh, uh, no sovereign but me. Yeah. You know, right. especially when you think about the way the church has um, placated that to the idea that we want to give you an experience in worship, we want to give you a smorgasbord of opportunity to choose from. You know, we, we, we offer all these different things because it's all about you. It's yeah. about you. It's about you because we believe you are good enough to make the right decision for you. I mean, so the church plays into that. So it makes sense that that would be a hard doctrine to swallow when all of a sudden now you're saying, oh, you're inclined to evil. That yeah. you don't know what's best for you, <laughs> you know. Right. That's that's a whole flip flop from what often the church does or says in its actions towards people. Even the seeker service itself, it's like well, let's give them what they want because they know what's best, mm -hmm. and then we'll just we'll we'll do a bait and switch real quick. And that's I, that's silly. I think also people don't like the idea of of uh, they don't like the idea that their free will is not completely free, and so we, reformed people always have to qualify it when we say free will, right? So when we when we say free will, we're talking about people are free to do what they want. They're free to act according to their nature. Most people don't like that because they want, you know, what some people call like libertarian free will or complete autonomous free will. And we know that because of the fall, because of Adam as the federal head, we don't have that type of free will. Right. We do whatever we want to do, but that is never going to be anything pleasing to God. You know, uh, Romans 3 talks about that. What do, you, what do you guys think about culturally? You think of, like, I deal with a lot of church planners, and you think about this doctrine. This, this is a hard doctrine to teach in a culture mm -hmm. that doesn't want, number one, to be told they're wrong, and number two, that now you're going to, on top of that, teach them there's only one way out, and that's through Jesus Christ. But specifically the doctrine of sin, why do you think, what are some ways in which you guys have gone around uh, to be able to help people understand this doctrine? I mean, obviously, it's the Holy Spirit who convicts and opens hearts. Right. So we're going to start with that. But, but what are some discussions you've had that help people to grasp this? I think some people uh, um, will realize their own sin um, only like in their actions. So like they'll realize that their actions are sinful. I hope this makes sense. But they'll realize that their actions are sinful, but they don't take it further to like the issue of the heart. So like when Jesus expands. On, the, on some of the Ten Commandments and says, not only is the action of adultery sin, but the fact that you desire another woman is sin, right? And so n nobody's going to—well, hopefully nobody—no Christian is going gonna, is gonna, to uh, get the idea that adultery is a sin wrong. Like, everyone knows that, right? But when you press um, a lost person—and even lost people will affirm that usually, like, hey, yeah, adultery is wrong—but when you press them, even the fact that you desire someone other than your spouse, that's sin. That's a picture of your sinful nature. And yeah. so I think sometimes that can help people to see the sin that they really have. It's the issue of your desires, not even just your actions, but it's more than that. Well, that's good. That's good. Chris, can I do you know, on that? Yeah, where I usually go, you were actually kind of going there a little bit a few minutes ago in Romans chapter 5, is to show there's two different imputations that take place there, the one being the imputation of Adam's sin to all who are in him, and the imputation of Christ's righteousness to all who are in him. And I find it helpful sometimes to walk people backwards through that and discuss how the imputation of Christ's righteousness uh, takes place, what that means for us, and, and then to walk backwards from there to the imputation of sin 
and say, you know, that's the thing is some people try to get around the whole imputation of sin there in Romans 5 and for those who are in Adam and and I'll show them, you know, you try and do that because that bothers you and you're undermining what it goes on to teach about the imputation of Christ's righteousness. And so we have to be able to come to accept both. Let's take this doctrine one step further and let's talk about the covenant in, in, with, with, with Adam that God had made in, in the garden. And when you, and you look at that, this whole idea of federal headship, Adam had an ability we didn't because right. he was without sin. He was, he was perfectly innocent in that regard. And here he is in the garden. He's faced with this clear directive from God. Every tree of the garden you may eat, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The day you eat of it, you'll surely die. And my catechism, or, or my confession, uses this word, our first parents being seduced. Right. Right? And, 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 and we know that the, the, um, the devil, uh, through the form of a serpent, speaks lies to um, Eve, and she, she buys into this, right? You know, did God really say, and the question of God's authority. And it's always interested me that people want to early dismiss this story as just a myth. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Or let's start playing with it. Was it sex? Was it... It had to have been something else besides a forbidden fruit. And they miss the very essence of what the whole thing is saying, is that here God has given a directive... And man, who had a perfect uh, free will, right. uh, untainted by sin, because sin didn't exist at this point, and yet he chooses to be disobedient. And therefore, all of his children afterwards are now affected by this decision. Um, do, you, do you find that people find that hard to accept in the sense of, as, a, as truth, doctrinal, even evangelical circles? Yeah, I think so. I, I, it goes back to the idea of imputed, you know, Adamson being imputed like to us. People really don't like that for some reason. They'll, they'll go even so far as to say, well, I'm, I'm born with sinful inclinations, you know, so uh, they're not going to deny that. They're not. Some, well, hopefully most people wouldn't say that you can go your whole life without sinning, but some people will even say, yeah, we're all going to end up sinning because of our sinful you know, inclination, basically. Uh, but they really don't like the idea that we are. We said it earlier, but the idea that we are guilty of Adam's sin, um, I, I think it goes back to the idea of they feel like they they didn't commit that sin, so they shouldn't be held responsible. But then, then it comes back with, well, you you didn't earn your salvation. Christ earned that for you. So either way, you're not really the individual doing the action. But we should be thankful for the federal headship. You know, we shouldn't like you know war against it. Chris, what do you do with the whole idea of the? The, the Adam being created in perfect freedom and people still wrestling with that idea. Well, I'm free today. I, I, God yeah. didn't tell me what to wear. He didn't tell me who to marry. You know, how do you, how do you put all that together for them as they're wrestling through that in this whole context of the doctrine of sin? I think that uh, generally these things tend to be a little uh, confused in the minds of most people. You know, I, I'm thinking about uh, a particular time I heard somebody preaching on this issue and, you know, the, our, our bondage of our will and sin and fallen nature from birth and somebody standing up and raising their hand and, and essentially saying, well, my kids aren't sinful. 
you know, my, my kids aren't aren't like this. My kids aren't totally depraved. Who would say that? Uh, and, <laughs> <laughs> what planet are they living on? <laughs> and, you know, and finally, I, whoever this was said to them, uh, you know, sh- can you show me scripture that would confirm this? And this woman said, well, yes, you know, after God made everything, he said, it's all very good. <laughs> and so uh, he had to say, well, you know, yeah, that's that's a little earlier in Genesis. Something else happens a few chapters later. Mm-hmm. <laughs> believe, and, it or, uh, believe it or not, I was actually preaching in a place and I had a lady come up to me and she says, I just cannot accept that you would say children are born in sin. Not not, you know, not the babies I know. I'm like, honey, <laughs> they become toddlers. Right. And, you know, it's, it's innate in them. They they have this. Uh, who teaches them how to lie? Who teaches them how to steal cookies? You right. know, it's it, it's sin dwells there. It may be dormant for a while, but it's there. It's there. So, yeah, it, it's interesting that you know the the catechism talks about the estate in which man fell, and it says he fell into the estate of sin and misery. And you look at misery. Misery is a misery is a good word, because I think that's the the state of the fall in the sense of of our, our experience. You just look around, look how sad everyone is. And, and the answer is because of sin, yeah. because of the fall of Adam, because, because of the debauchery all around, the, 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 the wickedness all around us in this world. And it's, it's the fruit of the fall. And, and that's why we shouldn't be surprised when we turn on our TV sets and we see riots and we see beatings and we see evilness just on every, every doorstep and indwelling in each person. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I think there's also confusion when we talk about total depravity, uh, obviously stemming from this doctrine of the fall, that uh, people tend to think, well, that when, when you say total depravity, it kind of sounds like we're saying that people are as bad as they could possibly be. They are totally depraved. And what was really intended by that uh, there in the canons of Dort by the Reformers was that uh, not that people are as bad as they could be, but they are as bad off as they could be. Yeah. Um, that they are, to- you know, sin has totally affected them. Uh, unlike the, the semi-Pelagian doctrine, which would say, well, sin affected part of me, but it's left another part of me free. We would say, no, we are entirely fallen. There is no part of my being that sin has not affected. Some people have also added, uh, just as a little caveat to understanding total depravity as total inability. So like mm-hmm. we, there's nothing we can do to come to God. Um, we're we're unable to, and we don't desire to either, right? So it's not that we're always all as bad as we can, because then people will look at like the little old the the nice old Catholic lady who like prays a rosary, and they'll say she's not she's not evil. Like look at her, she's she's doing her thing. She gives to the poor and all this stuff. And we're not saying that she's as bad as she could be, but we're saying that she's totally unable to come to Christ apart from being drawn by the Father, right? I love the illustration of the little kid picking their boogers, you know, then they go help mom make a pie. Yeah. Who wants to eat that pie? Nobody. Right. You know, it's because that pie has now all been affected by those, those boogers, you know, and that's, and I think we have to keep that in mind that when we talk about our will, our holiness, our justice, our goodness, our being, all of those have now been affected by this fall. And we can see that because our holiness is in God's holiness. Our justice is not God's justice, right? Our goodness is not God's goodness. The problem is, though, we have the tendency to look at others more 
um, more harshly than we look at ourselves. And I think that's why Jesus had to clearly teach, you know, remove the, the plank from your own eye right. before you deal with your the splinter in your brother's eye. But notice, both of them have, have issues. Right. Everybody's affected. Yeah. Splinters and, pl- and planks, everybody's affected. But, but first deal with your own junk um, mm-hmm. before going to deal with somebody else's. Yeah. I think it's just, it's theologically foundational to our preaching of the gospel just to, to understand the the fallen state of man in Adam, uh, in, in you know in our this mystical union that there is with us and our first father, uh, that it renders us hot. You know, as Romans eight uh, seven and eight says, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile towards God. Uh, it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Um, <clears throat> All of this is so basic, so foundational uh, to our understanding of human nature and our understanding of the gospel that it really can't be denied. Uh, Yet I find it's one of those things that so often um, really tends to not be very thoroughly taught or or understood amongst a lot of evangelicalism, I think, today. I think you're totally right, especially that Romans 8, 7, and 8. When you get to the verse 8, um, those that are according to the flesh cannot please, or or the mind that is set on the flesh cannot please God. Um, there's a lot of people that don't take that as far as it needs to be taken, you know, and they think, well, my, my pe- lost people are affected by sin, and they, they uh, need to just make a choice to repent, you know what I mean? And it's right. not that repentance isn't a choice, but it's that we're made willing beforehand, right? And so that's why we come to Christ. But yeah, the 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 lengths that some people aren't willing to take that verse is is kind of a problem, I think. Yeah, repentance is one of the twin sisters that's birthed out, right? Faith and repentance, they're both gifts. Right. Um, and 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 yet people get that all all messed up. Chris, I want to go back to something. I think it was you who asked the question earlier, you know, about people and and why they why they have such a hard time with this, specifically in the evangelical world, I think is the, the fact that we're so individualistic and this whole idea that um, I'm in Adam, I, there's no way I can swallow that because yeah. you think about just even like, you know, we're in the Motor, motor City here, everybody wants their car to look unique. You know, whether it's, you know, the bigger wheels or, or the, the leather design in seats, whatever, they want their own stamp that this is me, uh, the way they, the way they dress, you know, the music they listen to, everybody's looking to be unique, individualistic. And yet we miss the point that we're, we fall in Adam and we're raised to life in Christ. But, but it, constantly we're taught that it's a corporate nature. And even when uh, Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray, it's not my father, right? Right. It's our father. And I think that's an important point to remember is that we're saved to something, and, 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 and it's in that relationship, we're in Christ, and we're saved, and we're the household of God, and, and we're all the bride, <laughs> mm-hmm. and it's, we miss that, and I think that, yeah. I think that affects the church today because we're so individualistic, so I, I wanted to kind of bring that back because I think that is a major player to why people have such a hard time with this doctrine of sin. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you went back to that, because that's actually what I was thinking when I brought that up, was just how individualistic we are. And to, to look at the world and understand that there are really two humanities that exist in the world. There are those who are in Adam and those who are in Christ. 
uh, those who belong to Adam and his fall, and those who belong to Christ and have received the redemption that is in him. I mean, isn't, and, uh, isn't that the big know, question, right? Are you in Christ or are you in Adam? Right. Because he, yeah. he, and that's, that's only two options. And, and I think you know, the, I, I, Go ahead, Chris. Oh, I was going to say, you know, one of the reasons, something I love about this whole idea of being in Christ, too, Paul uniquely develops that doctrine. And one of the things I've always found so fascinating is in his conversion experience there on the road to Damascus, that he's on his way to go persecute the church and oversee the murder of Christians. And as Jesus confronts him there and blinds him there on the road, that he says, you know, who are you, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now, it's interesting Paul was going to oversee the the imprisonment and execution of Christians. And what I, I see in that is that as he was doing that, as he's persecuting the body of Christ, as we would understand it, he was persecuting Christ himself, who is the head. And, you know, years go by, and Paul then later uniquely develops that doctrine of the body of Christ, what it means to be in union with Christ, or as we're talking about, in Christ. And so I have just always found that fascinating, that he would be the one to make that connection when uh, when that was part of his conversion experience. Yeah, and I think... Uh... I think in, in Romans 5, a lot of confusion comes about when we say, like, who's in Adam, who's in Christ, because the word all and the word many is used on both sides. So we obviously don't believe universalism. So we do believe that every single individual who's born is born in Adam, right? Um, mm-hmm. But then it, in Romans 5, it can be confusing if, if you don't read it all the way through and kind of understand. And I think the key is verse 17, because it says, For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man— much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in their life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So it's all who are in Adam, which is every individual, and then it's all who are in Christ, which is not every individual. And so that's where we have to protect against like a universal salvation, because a lot of people go to Romans 5 to try to prove, quote-unquote, universalism. Well, good discussion today, guys. Uh, We're going to leave it hanging here because we want to continue this discussion next week as we walk ourselves through the covenants and, and, and the way in which God operates in his relationship with man, specifically carrying on this doctrine of soteriology. So uh, thanks a lot, guys, and everybody have a great week. Thanks for listening to the Confessional Collective Podcast. For more information and resources, please visit confessionalcollective.com and be sure to like our Facebook page.